Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. And I have the honor of uh, spending the next few minutes just going through part of uh, the book of James this morning. We're part three of our... Uh, series that we started a couple weeks ago, Letter of James, and uh, it's, it's James, uh, the disciple of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote letters to the early church or sermons to the early church, and we're going through them together as a church leading up to Easter, and so these letters are directly from the ministry of Jesus. It's the, the earliest, uh, the first New Testament book that was written. It was written about 50 A.D., and uh, it's written, James, again, the half-brother of Jesus. So um, the church is just beginning. It's scattering. And James is writing to them about how we're going to do this thing right, how we're going we're gonna to get this church off the ground right. And um, the, the sort of message, the overall message of these letters is that you'd be complete as a believer, that you'd be mature as a believer. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the Greek word teleos, and it kind of encompasses all those words, that it'd be, you'd be brought to your end um, as a believer. You'd be teleos in your relationship um, with Christ, complete and mature. The purpose of this book is to challenge and to change us, to challenge and to change us. And so we're not reading a Psalms this morning. Okay, I'm sorry, we're not reading from nice encouraging word from the Psalms. I apologize. The, the, that's not my fault. That's James's fault. Okay, this is the, he's, he's writing to challenge and change the early church. So in a minute, we're going to read James chapter 2. We're going to go through the, the start of it. So 1 to 13, the first portion. I'm going to read from the ESV in a minute. But uh, to challenge and to change the early church. So here we go. James chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, your phone, pull it up on that. And you can follow along as I read it to you. He's starting, we know he's starting a new servant here because he always addresses, um, he'll always be like, my brothers and sisters, which is just a fun thing to call your Christian friends. Hey, my brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, and uh, so that's what he does to these guys. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring I apologize for my voice this morning. It's a little hoarse. Bear with me. I actually find it to be less annoying when I'm losing my voice, uh, when I hear it back. So um, maybe it's a good thing. Okay, let's, let's start again. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty in all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. For if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those are who to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what was happening, a little bit of the context behind this verse is that there was a caste system that was happening back in the day. So a little bit of, to, to sort of oversimplify the caste system, it would be that um, if you were in a specific profession, if your family is in a uh, specific um, sorry, uh, a specific job, you would uh, you'd stick in that job for years. You wouldn't have the opportunity, like if, you're, if your father was a doctor, you'd be a doctor if you're, uh, or, or your mother. And, and you just stick in that. Have you ever seen the movie Coco? You know what I'm talking about, Coco? Anybody? Okay, parents, come on. Parents, help me out here. You're my people. You've seen Coco. I've seen it 56 times per month for the first three years of my child's life. Um, but they're like, we're Riveras, we're shoemakers, right? So that's kind of the idea. And then clearly what was happening in the early church is there were some distinctions being made and people were being you know, unkind to other people. And, and so um, there was these distinctions. They were treating people in a different way and because, because of, of their profession or if they're rich or poor, whatever. And so James is now addressing the specific behavior that he sees happening within the early church. You know there was some partiality uh, happening and this is why he had to write this. For example, we rented an Airbnb uh, recently, and when we walked into the Airbnb, there was all these ridiculous, super specific rules. And when you read these rules, you're like, oh, there's a story behind all these rules. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, no dogs in the hot tub. There's a story behind that rule. Um, and, and so what James is doing is he's, he's writing this to challenge and change them. And so I'm, I'm just warning you this morning, this might not be the most encouraging message ever. It, it might challenge and, and hopefully change you, as I know it did for me. I came across the text and was like, seriously, why did I schedule myself on this week? But here we go. Um, if the church exists to be the bride of Christ, then our desire must be that our church is beautiful. How many people want a beautiful bride for Jesus to come back to? He's been waiting all these years that's part of us making it beautiful. As much as I, I love our branding and our, you know, design and the worship team and stuff, you know, it, it's about the people. The people are the thing that makes uh, the, the church beautiful. And so if I claim to love God, I, I must love my fellow man. But when we begin to show partiality, we're indirectly hurting people that God has commanded us to love. And that's the trap of partiality. It sort of feels like it's not hurting anybody. It's just, these are just my friends or this is just who I'd prefer to hang out with or, you know, I just fit in better with, with these folks. And but what, what we might not realize is happening is somebody is being indirectly hurt by our partiality to other people. As I worked through this text this week, I started to think, how could I maybe draw a parallel to something in my life where this happened? And I thought about, um, in June, 
we flew our whole family, there's five of us, my wife and our three kids, to uh, Ontario. And we, um, you ever flown with kids? Anybody ever flown with kids? Okay. It's the worst. Um, you know, you, you sit down on a plane and you think, oh, great. Uh, a person with a kid sat next to me. Can I just tell you, it is 6,000 times worse for that parent than it is for you. Um, anyways, flying with kids is a treat. Um, but this, this summer, we decided to go to June. Uh, we decided to go to Ontario in June. And we had to fly through Pearson, uh, Pearson Airport. It is a, Pearson is a nightmare. It is, it is like, uh, it's like uh, when you're in Pearson, you're like, you start to understand. I think Pearson Airport is how Catholics came up with the idea of purgatory. Okay, it's a bunch of people who don't want to be there waiting to get to somewhere else that they want to be. Like, Pearson is rough. And so we get there, we're flying some really cheap economy airline. We think, oh, it's so much cheaper. And when you start to experience them, you realize why they're cheaper. Um, but we're waiting to check our bags, and we have our, our almost three-year-old daughter in the uh, stroller. And from two and a half to three and a half, you really need some extra help from the Holy Spirit with children. Um, it's a special time of their life. And, and so we're waiting in this line to check our bags, and my, my, my two-year-old's just getting, she's getting restless. She's like, get me out of here. I want to be freed. And she's like starting to get a little bit angry, and it's not good. We finally get our bags checked. And then we get into the security line and there's like the wall and you think it's not that long and then you get past this wall and all of a sudden it's like a mess of security line. And you're like, oh, here we go. And she's getting restless and more restless and more restless. And it's getting to the point where no snack will do it, no tablet will do it. Like she's throwing everything and she's like, I need to be set free. She's getting so restless. And we're in this line and we're like, why is it taking so long? And there's two like lines that are set for us, you know, like the two security things that are set where you put the bins on. There's two of them running for this massive line. And then there's this, and all the people in there are so busy. You know, the workers are like, do this, do that, do this. And then there's this one other one where the workers are like standing around. And every so often, one person walks up, gets checked through this nice line, and they, they go on their way, and then they continue to stand around. And you're like, can we please use that line as well? It's the trusted traveler line. You know that one? The, the nexus line. And you're, you're in your line, you're like thinking, why won't they open that one up to us? And, and you, you continue to go through and you're struggling. And so we finally get to the front and we start to take everything apart and it tips my daughter over the edge. She loses it. She has like the craziest tantrum she's ever had. She runs through security. She's like, no. And they're like, ma'am, you gotta calm that kid down. And she's like, you do it. You created this mess. And like, it's just a nightmare. We're all going nuts. I'm sweating more than any person should ever sweat in their life. I'm trying to get the other two kids through and it's just a complete gong show. And... I just couldn't help but think, man, I get that these people are special and they do their thing and they get their special treatment and their special line, but man, I could have really used to be, to be helped by those people right now. Like I could really use to be, have a hand lent to me so that I didn't have to wait, you know, two hours to get through this line. And I, as I thought about this verse and this story, I couldn't help but think, I wonder if we're doing this in our churches. I wonder, if we're, I wonder if we are creating some sort of special areas that it's easy for some people in the church. They love it. They're like, this is the best place ever. But for some people, it's not quite their experience. For some people, they're, they're not feeling seen. 
they're not feeling like, you know, they might walk past the, the wall and think, it's not a place to belong for me. And this was happening in the early church as well. And, and James is, is addressing it. He's like, guys, show no partiality as we hold our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not giving us a precise scenario, meaning it's just about seating. Like he's talking about where people are gonna sit. He's not giving us a, a precise scenario that, hey, we really gotta get our seating right and that's it. If we do that, everything's gonna be good. He's giving us a general rule of thumb as we follow Jesus as we're followers of Jesus, how we're gonna perfect and, and, and make this beautiful bride of Christ for Jesus. If we wanna be like Jesus, we're to show no partiality in the church. And the, the, the funny thing about it is that often culture and the world outside of the church walls would tell us to show partiality. And this is the beautiful contrast of Jesus. The world, often you'll see, and this is just one example, but often you'll see the world will say, listen to these specific celebrities. In other words, we're gonna promote these people. We're gonna put these people in front of you all the time. They'll, they'll curate TV and commercials to show sort of the same idea and social media and award shows, all to show partiality towards specific culture, trends, and ideas. But the way of Jesus says if someone is different from you in, in thinking, in, in race, in economic status, in worldview, we cannot show partiality, or even in their, in their walk with God. While culture would suggest that it's just this really inclusive place to be, it's so loving and, and diverse, the reality of it is, is that you'll only experience, in culture, you'll only experience those things if you believe what they believe and you preach what they preach. But the contrast of Jesus and his church is that we're truly led towards a better world, that this is the more inclusive, this is the more loving place. And, he, and James is expressing this from the ministry of Jesus by saying, show no partiality. I'll give you an example of how Jesus did this. How Jesus did this was, back in the day, the, the cultural sort of context of what um, Jesus was living during was that they, um, again, might be an oversimplification, but that for the most part, at least in that area, they wouldn't talk to women in public. Men wouldn't talk to women in public. And Jesus broke this down. This is the beauty of Jesus. He's like, no, that might be how culture lives, but that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is that women are included in the story of Jesus, that Jesus was seen with women. In fact, that when he died, the first people that he saw when he resurrected were women. And then he sent those women out to begin the ministry by going and grabbing the disciples. Saying, you know those guys that I built up and you know those guys that I poured into my life into? You go get them, they're gonna continue to start this. But he used women to do that. He was seen with women intentionally. This is the way of Jesus. It contrasts the way of the world. God has shown us something better than what culture shows us. That the church is to be a hospitable place. Hospitable, the hospitality can be translated into the love of the stranger. And sometimes, even though there's a familiar face, it's, you're, you're, it's a strange, you're not familiar with a person. And this church specifically makes room for more, not just in the seats, but in our hearts for people. You know, I, because I'm in different pastors' gatherings here and there, um, and, and reading different studies, um, the sort of general um, 
thesis about the church in Canada right now is that the church in Canada is in decline. And I think like as we look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and, and how that works out in our context here in our city, I think we're just saying that might be the, 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 the prophecy or what people are speaking or, or even just the truth right now. That might be the truth about our country, but that's not gonna be the truth about our city. And that's not gonna be the truth about this church that I'm planted in, my local church. That As a disciple of Jesus, I'm saying, I'm rejecting that. And, and I'm saying, not here in Edmonton. Not, not where my feet are planted. Not under my watch. And James is giving us a little bit of a, a, a hint as to how to make this, this bride more beautiful. Show no partiality. Because if you do, you've dishonored the poor man. And, and I think we have to look beyond just economics here of, okay, who's rich and who's poor? Okay, the rich people are our church and it's bad and the poor people are, no, that's not what he's saying. What's encouraging about this verse is, I think, no matter what our bank account looks like, at times, like, we can all see ourselves in the poor man a little bit, whether it's finances, friendship, education, even opportunity, whatever it might be, um, that's the beauty of Jesus, is that he, he sees us in our weakness and he says, where you're weak, I'll make you strong. And what James is saying is if you dishonor people by not having a generous heart towards them, you've made the bride of Christ unattractive. We don't want to be part of making the bride of Christ unattractive. What a challenging verse for us to challenge us, to change us. So who's the poor man in your life maybe? Maybe, maybe you're not identifying with the poor man so much. So I guess you have to ask yourself, then who might be the poor man in your life? Who might it be that, whether you realize it or not, like my friends in the Nexus line, I got nothing against Nexus. You know, that works fine in airports, but we can't allow it to happen in the church. Please hear me on that. Like, you don't have to be like, okay, I gotta give my Nexus back. If you got that this morning, I'm not judging you, okay? Please stay with us. Um, but who might be that poor man in your life? Who might you have looked down upon? The risk of the rich is that we're the oppressive ones in James's story. So we gotta ask ourselves, who might we be dishonoring with our actions? Treating ourselves to maybe a front of the line experience and not realizing that we're indirectly hurting those around us. Because at times, this can be our, in our imperfection, this can be our, our tendencies to, to pick favorites. Who are we dishonoring directly or indirectly. People that we're, don't mean to do it, but we're looking down upon. I think for, for many people, the, the poor person is someone who simply struggles with different sins than we do. It's such a temptation that, you know, as, we dis, as we're disciples of Jesus, as we want to be, be around Jesus, you know, we, we can't um, allow that to get into us, that we, we start to almost think this self-righteous way just because we don't struggle with specific th sins that other people do. Sheesh, I'm no better than so many people that struggle with sins that just aren't socially acceptable to Christians. That doesn't make us better than those people. James tells us that the way of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, is to show no partiality. To maybe take time and space for people who might not be able to give something back to you. 
This is the way of Jesus. And it produces compelling disciples that make people interested in the person of Jesus. You know, as just starting to get older in my life and, and, and being, you know, in this, in church for a long time and starting to think about what do, what do, you, what do I want my life to look like? And, and, and obviously there's, there's many, many things, but something I just stumbled upon recently is I just really hope that the way I live my life would have people ask themselves, huh, maybe I was wrong about Christians. Or, hmm, that's interesting. Why would that person act like that, think like that, love like that? I'm not saying I'm perfect in this. I'm saying this is a goal for my life. It's, it's we, we want to, you know, there's a, sometimes a temptation to, to go out and just preach about Jesus. That's great, but I think that and people in our day-to-day lives, we might not get that opportunity, but we can at least give them the opportunity to say, hmm, there's something different about them. You're compelling people towards the person of Jesus. Huh. Do our lives show people that everyone's loved by God, they belong in his house? Or have we maybe picked up some favorites. I was just thinking about, uh, we don't have time for that, Joel. Come on. You got to write this shorter if you want. Um, As we become rich in faith and rich in friendships, sometimes we don't realize we're dishonoring the poor, whatever that poor might, might look like. And maybe you're feeling that. Maybe you're feeling that, that you're that that poor person today. I just want to encourage everyone that here's what James says. If we love him, we inherit his kingdom. If we love him, we inherit his kingdom. Now, I knew that as I wrote this, I knew that there was, it would start to feel heavy, almost start to feel like you have to change your actions, which is not the message of Jesus. So I want to tell you two things if this sermon is making you squirm this morning making you go, oh, I wish I would have watched this one online, you know? At least I could have vacuumed while watching church. Um, If the message is making you squirm this morning, or or maybe if you're feeling heavy in the room, first of all, I apologize if the way I've worded this has done that, but if you're feeling heavy, like this is a lot of work, we have to look to to Jesus for how to to go through these commandments and and how to obey him, because he commanded us to obey him, we have to look to him, and, and, and we can always come back to this Matthew chapter 11, where he says, come to me, I will give you rest. That that's the promise of discipleship. That if it feels heavy, if it feels like a lot of work, if it feels like there's no way I'm ever going to be able to do that, we can come back to Matthew chapter 11. And what's his promise? I will give you rest. And actually, a, a better uh, translation for this I've heard is that it, it, the, the Greek translation would more translate in the way that it would say, I, that literally, I will rest you. Almost like, a, like when you think of the idea of, of rest, it's like you lean into me and I will rest you. The second thing, if this message is making you squirm, is to remind yourself, I didn't come up with it, James did, it's not my fault. 
Don't be mad at me. All right. When we get to verse 8, James says, he reminds us of this command to love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, you're doing well. So what does your loving your neighbor look like in the world today? I think it can look like a lot of things, but it, for one thing that I see in a lot of people um, in the church, outside, just wherever, and, and what sets us apart as followers of Jesus is not just good, good deeds. Like it's great to, and, and James goes on to talk about good deeds as well. It's great to go uh, shovel so- someone's snow. That's, that's awesome, do it, it's great. Snow today, you can serve someone and love your neighbor. But it says to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's like almost like you need to give people what you need. And sometimes we can get almost like a victim mentality. Like how come no one's taking care of me? How come no one's doing this for me? Well, the Bible's commanded you to give other people what you need. I, I, I just see this so often. I see this in so many young people is that just a deep inner desire to be seen. That would someone just notice me? I don't want you to make a big deal of me when I walk into the room, but I want you to see me. People just want to be seen. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, you too? I thought I was the only one. What if you're loving your neighbor? You're just simply helping them feel seen. And in the context of a church, what, I, I, like what if we were just a church that just, we, we noticed when someone was new? Oh man, what a beautiful bride. It was just like, hey, that person looks a little bit lost. You know, that person, it's, what a beautiful bride would, we would create for Jesus. What does loving your neighbor look like in the context of our city in 2023? Our desire, I believe, when we think about the city as a whole, when we think about the people that we love and we're close to, and, and you know, thinking about the, the declining Canadian church, it can feel like this big, weighty thing that you just think, oh, well, I can't do anything about that, so this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. You know, I'm gonna tell people Jesus loves them on Halloween and, and, and you know, when I hand out candy and, and that's gonna be the end of it. Um, you can think of it like it's just this, you know, I, I just can't do much about it. But, um, but what if we just had a desire for renewal in Edmonton? You know, we, we know that all, all people are predestined to be adopted by our Father. That all, there's not a specific people, that all people are predestined to be adopted by our Father. And so when we think about being a disciple of Jesus and having a heart for people that are far from him, all we're doing is bringing people back to where they belong in the first place. It's not some like foreign concept that hopefully they get it. If they don't, that's fine. No, we're renewing. We're bringing them back to the purpose they were created. Jonah 3.5, Jonah um, I, there's a, it's a big story, but I just wanted you to catch this because I, I feel like it fit in with this partiality thing that James puts in front of us. He says, Jonah 3, 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Jonah wanted nothing to do with these terrible sinners. Can you see yourself in, in Jonah? I can. 
It's like, God, this is a heavy task and I'm too busy. Like my calendar's full. And I, I, there's, there's too many people I wanna say hi to. There's too many other people I, you know, I care about. But once Jonah stopped judging them, what happened? He saw a move of God. And we can sit and pray for a move of God all we want. But it, it takes something to change in us that God comes where he's wanted. And Jonah showing, and in this story, it's people coming and believing in God, showing no partiality, greatest to least. If we're gonna see a renewal in our city of people turning back to God, we have to have a heart for everyone. The funny thing about the world is they'll tell you that um, loving your neighbor just means agreeing with everything that their neighbor believes. Often that's it. It's like, no, you, you, who are you to judge? You have to agree. It's like, no, I'm not gonna agree with you on things that are bad for you, that, are, that go against the way God designed you to be. And they would label us as not loving simply because we don't agree with certain things. But the biblical worldview says that we can love and disagree. That it doesn't make us not loving because we don't agree. The way of Jesus is that I refuse to see my neighbor as less than me, even though we don't agree. That I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find a place to agree with them on. That we're both humans, we're both created by God. We both struggle with all kinds of things. I don't have it all figured out. I love you even though we don't agree. I'm not gonna just show partiality to certain people and especially not when it comes to the church. Making distinctions is not just a bad idea. James tells us it's sin. So what are we doing to create space for people in our lives and in our church? Have we turned our back on certain people because their differences make us uncomfortable? Potentially making their life harder because of our own um, partiality like that airport lineup. Those, those people at Nexus, no judgment for them. My kid is not their problem, right? I'm, I'm going through my own thing. And they didn't even realize that they were holding up all these security people. And it, it's like, that's fine in the airport, but not in the church. It's like, no, I'm gonna pay attention to what James is saying to us here. I'm not gonna judge people. I'm, I'm gonna make room for people. And in 13, the last one we're gonna go through this morning, says, for judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Judgment, mercy triumphs over judgment. So when we're tempted to just judge people, to maybe say, ah, those, I don't know if that person's for me, if I have space for that person, whatever. Keep God's judgment in mind when you're tempted to judge others. Matthew 5, 7 says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So when we show mercy, God shows it back to us. It's beautiful. But I mean, this is New Testament. That's a heavy text. Judgment without mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. It's like, there's judgment coming for you. But when you show mercy, God shows it back to you. And in light of this judgment, we're determining our own future. But mercy triumphs over judgment. It, ju it just might be a, a moment of mercy with your time, you know, or, or mercy with your 
your personality, mercy, mercy with your friend group. It's like, oh, you just don't feel like we have room for one more. And God's just saying, hey, could you just slow down for a second? I think for so many of us, there's just too much going on in our lives to even grasp this concept. It's like we're already thinking about all the, all the things we have to do this afternoon. We've already moved on from this moment. And God is maybe just trying to grab a hold of our hearts and saying, you know, you're so tired, and, but you just refuse to come to me. If you just take a moment, I, his promise is, I will rest you. And as we serve God with our lives, as we are around Jesus, and we start to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, you'll actually find rest in that life. And the good news is, is that God shows no partiality when it comes to us as well. That there's no nexus lineup in the kingdom of God. When God looks at you, he sees his brilliant design. He sees someone he made in his own image. He doesn't value you based on your bank account. He doesn't value you based on your skin color. He doesn't value you based on what your job is. He doesn't value you based on your past, your present, or even your future. And what does he say? If you love God, you'll inherit his kingdom. That you are predestined to be adopted by him. How do you see yourself? Maybe some of us have been sort of looking down on ourselves, devaluing ourselves. Or what is our responsibility if we want to become like Jesus? To value people, so others and ourselves, with consistency, compassion, and courtesy. And this is how we become compelling disciples of Jesus that make people ask the question, huh, what about this Jesus? And as we do this, as we obey what James, the road that James is sending us on, what happens is the promise of James throughout the book, we will become teleos, mature, complete, well-rounded believers. I love that Jesus renews. I think that today, if you're discontent with some things in your life, would you remind yourself that Jesus renews? Jesus chose a tax collector as a disciple. That was a cardinal sin back in the day. It's like, that's a bad man, a tax collector. What happened? Jesus renewed Matthew to be a disciple of Jesus, to change the course of, of church history forever, to be an example for, for followers of Jesus forever. Jesus chose four fishermen to be disciples, four ordinary fishermen. This was a common trade. It was nothing special. What happened? Jesus renewed these people. Peter and John were ordinary, uneducated men. Jesus renewed them. He takes the ordinary and he renews. Paul was persecuting the church. And there's many people like that. Can I just tell you, there's many future leaders of the church who are currently persecuting it. We don't want to turn our backs on them. We love those people. We believe as people speak poorly about the church, God's going to renew those people like he did with Paul. Those are going to be our future leaders one day. Those are going to be future pastors one day. Those are going to be future, you know, people that build up the church and lead the church into renewal because of the renewal that took place in their lives. And if you're feeling a little down today, a little heavy today, can I just tell you, come for a renewal in Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to renew you. If you're feeling overlooked, unimportant, forgotten, unwanted, 
God sees you, he shows you mercy. Show others mercy, show yourself mercy. God wants to renew your spirit today. Can we just stand and pray as we finish the sermon together? Father, thank you for um, your church here today. May we continue to have a heart for renewal in our city, but renewal in us as well. Create in us a new heart, oh God. We don't want the uh, old ways that have been messing us up or, or dragging us off track or you know, dragging us away from you to be in there anymore. We, we want to come to you and find rest in you. I just pray for anyone who's feeling uneasy today. I just felt that I was, as I was preparing this morning, just the word heavy. Like you're just feeling heavy. And, and, and even as you, we went through the sermon together, you just felt heavy. You just felt like, oh. I just have so much going on and I just, I keep trying different things and it, it keeps not working. I want you to know that Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is a word for you today. Come to him. He'll give you rest. He will rest you this morning. Thank you, Father, for your words and your faithfulness. We give you these situations or maybe these bad habits that we've been struggling through and we don't try and work them out on our own anymore. That's when, it, that's when it's really hard. It's when we're always trying to fix it on our own so that we can go to God. But the reality of it is, is we go to God and he works out the details. He works out how we're gonna get through it. But it, the first step is to go to Jesus, not the last step. And he will rest you. So if you're feeling heavy today, I just wanna pray for you. I just want you to know I see you. God sees you, he loves you. Father, thank you for your people here today. I pray that they would uh, find a renewal in you for their soul, for their spirit, and find that in you, God. Father, forgive us for when we go to cheap alternatives that we think will bring us comfort or rest. May we find it Forgive us for when we try and figure this out on our own. We're confessing right now. Believers together in this house. Where maybe you're just pointing, the Holy Spirit's just pointing us to something. We're just, we're just bringing it to you today. Confessing it to you today. We just ask that you come and have your way. Come have your way in us. We're tired of doing it on our own. take a minute this morning and just breathe before we go back into the world and the busyness of life just take a moment and breathe this morning thank you God thank you God you're in the room or watching online and today is your day to make a decision for Christ. The Bible says you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. 
Maybe you've prayed this prayer before to do that and it hasn't worked out. I want to encourage you today. You can pray it again if you feel that's what you need. Just repeat after me. I'll ask everybody who's a believer to repeat after me as well. We sit in agreement with those because we, we see them. We're so proud of them. We want to pray with them in agreement this morning. Just say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, dying on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. And from now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.